You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Susan and Becky. Kim Warnick has served as the executive director of Calling All Crows since 2019 and was a 2021 She Rocks Award recipient for her sexual violence prevention work in the music industry through the hashtag Here for the Music campaign. She currently calls Long Beach, California and the road home after spending most of her life in New Hampshire and Boston. She has more than a decade of sexual violence prevention and response experience, five years of nonprofit leadership experience, and eight years of music industry experience, and holds a BA in sociology from Harvard University, where her studies focused on social movements, organizational culture, and conflict and peace building. Welcome, Kim. Welcome, Kim. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm obsessed right now watching the show, The Morning Show. And the more I watch more shows that have more details and things, you know, that are like sexual harassment, I'm like, I got to talk to Kim. We got to talk to Kim again. We got to get her on here. I was like, and the more people call me and talk about the drama that's happening, you know, in their job or their world, I was like, let's let's keep Kim on the front burner here because I think what you do is definitely something that needs to remain on the front burner until it goes away. Yeah, there is. There is a lot of work to do. So in saying that, let's just start at the beginning. What is sexual harassment and can you define that for us? I know that's a very broad question. It's good. It's a good question. So sexual harassment, it it's a term that like has a legal meaning in employment law to go. I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice, but I'm telling you that that's sort of where it comes <laughs> from. So sometimes sexual harassment gets talked about in like way broader ways than the legal definition, um, which is okay. It has like cultural meaning too, but really... It's about behaviors that are based on someone's sex or gender uh, and that are used to sort of harm someone in their workplace. So that could be like old school ways of thinking about it, like those very traditional, like quid pro quo, right? Like you do the sexual favor, I'll give you a job or a promotion. That is one version of sexual harassment, but many other versions exist. So something where um, what's called a hostile work environment, right? So if your workplace is made to be uncomfortable or hostile or on discrimination based on your sex. Uh, so that can look like, you know, when someone is treated as though they don't know how to do their job because they're a woman is a version of sexual harassment, right? So I've definitely heard from people who um, people go in and, you know, talk to them like they don't know how to be, for example, an audio engineer, a sound engineer, because they don't <laughs> look like what people are used to seeing. That's sexual harassment. And there are a lot of other things that it, it can be an inclusive of even like sexual assault or more severe forms of behavior as well. So how do you differentiate what's like illegal or, or against like your company policy, I guess, versus um, something that's just as kind of icky? Yeah. So, so much of our work is actually to sort of like push people to like not worry too much about the legal line. Obviously, it matters that legal line is important. But we really push people to think about, like, you don't want to hurt someone, so let's figure out how to not harm people. And that frame is going to be a better guide for how to behave than, like, the legal frame. Um, Because so much of the legal framework is really about, you know, if there's harassment and you report it, did your company follow the procedures they were meant to follow? Like, there's a lot of, it, it varies. It's just sort of like a confusing landscape in some ways. and those laws are meant to be there for our protection, but also like look around, how protected do you feel by that legal framework? And so, so much of our work is about really helping people as 
bystanders to say, what are you looking for that can be harmful? And how do you sort of help disrupt that behavior before it gets to the point that you need to have the law involved? Because that's really stressful and hard and not what people want. They just want to be treated with respect and feel safe at work. And so that line certainly is there. But even the things that are like icky or feel bad are also worth preventing. So with your work, do you do most of that like in live situations or is it more like, I guess not live, but more like freelancer type situations or theater or warehouse Mm -hmm. or that kind of stuff? Or, you know, like I'm a freelancer. I've worked in warehouses before. I have worked in theaters before. But as a freelancer, I'm not subject to the laws of that actual house I don't go to the trainings. I don't do, you know, so then I come in and then the band comes in and, you know, some band member that's touring sexually harasses me. This is just all like kind of coming out of my head here as I'm thinking about it. And if I go to my tour or to my tech director at this theater, for instance, and say, hey, this dude on this tour just did this, he can really kind of look at me and be like, well, you're a freelancer. Like, I don't pay you. under my books, there's not really anything I can do about that. Like, are you guys trying to help that become more of a a hard law or a hard, like, hey, everybody's subject to this, not just whoever works under the blanket of so-and-so theater? Yeah, it's a really, really common and good, like, example. You brought up that scenario. Um, That's also part of why we push people away from legal frameworks is because it varies a little bit by state and oftentimes freelancers aren't included, which are a huge part of the music industry. So a lot of freelancers don't get the same protections under the law, which is why we push so much around, Um, you know, you should do this regardless of what the law says. So the work, the way we approach the work is we do a lot of training. So we're going, we train venue staff, festival staff, touring crews. Um, We work a lot in the live music industry because like the organization Colonial Crows does, does more beyond this campaign. And a lot of that is in live music spaces, but it's, we're doing these trainings that help people identify harmful behavior. So, cause many people really don't know, right? Like you started the question, the, the yeah. interview with what is sexual harassment? A lot of people really don't know what's above board and not because we've tolerated such trash behavior for so long <laughs> that it's so really long. hard to know like yeah. what should we actually yeah. be um doing in our workplaces you know I thought I wrote a code of conduct for a tour um last week I was I, I was finishing it up and some of the things I was writing I've worked in industries outside of the music industry and I was like man it feels so silly to write this down right like don't <laughs> give drugs to minors was a real thing I wrote down <laughs> And it felt insane. Um, Don't slap your coworkers' ass. You know? Yeah. Wow, this is what I'm writing down. And I've given advice to tour managers or to managers that it was like, don't make people sleep in the same bed as their coworker. Like that. And they were like, oh, I've never thought about that before. Like shared beds in hotel rooms is common practices on tours. Uh, I was like, that can't be what you need to. That's part of someone's compensation package. It's part of their workplace. They need to, at a minimum, have their own bed. Really, they should have their own room. And so those kinds of things, it's like setting yeah. the bar off of like the basement, right? Like it's so low right. that it's insane. So our work <laughs> is really, how do you help reset the bar to a normal workplace behavior? Um, not this like sex, drugs, rock and roll behavior as the the standard for what we tolerate for how we treat each other. Because at the end of the day, we're just hurting each other and it's awful. 
the bulk of people don't want to do that, right? Like many people really want this to be better. So we're helping people learn how to identify it, but also learn how to intervene and disrupt that behavior before it turns into the worst case scenario. So um, we do, there is based off of a bystander training. Um, so it's really, how do you intervene safely and effectively and giving people multiple tools? You know, I think what feels obvious to people is to directly go up to someone and be like, stop doing that. That's bad. Um, that's one method, right? There's so many other tools at our disposal that can be really helpful. Um, direct is often a good choice, but it's not always the right choice for the situation or for the person comfort level. And so doing things like creating a distraction, right, to move that along. I often use this in my day-to-day life. You know, if I'm walking around and I see something, I'm like, oh, it just seems a little off or I don't know the people involved. They don't really know what's going on, but I could disrupt us and give someone some breathing room to like get out of that situation if it's off. Mm-hmm. The amount of people I ask like where the bathroom is, is out of control, but it goes in and it just disrupts what's happening. Like you don't always have to go at things head on. And so that's what this training gets at is how do you intervene in a way that's safe and effective for everyone involved? And how do you even know when to intervene in the first place? Uh, so we do a lot of trainings, but we also do policy consultations for venues and tours and festivals to help them create policies that apply to folks beyond their employees. So what are they doing for patrons? Cool. What are they doing for freelancers, for guests, for artists? Most people at a show are not included in the policies that currently exist because they only cover employees. So we're saying, how do you create a policy? Right. And then how do you train your staff on the protocol to actually follow it and do something about it? Do you guys, like I just noticed, I was on a tour run uh, earlier this year and I noticed this in a bathroom of some place on the back of the bathroom stall, there's like a, hey, you know, if you're being harassed or this is happening, go to the bartender and say this word kind of thing. So I started adopting that as like a policy I do when I do shows, like get everybody together or I'll send the email out for the advance and tell all of my crew, hey, if anything weird is going on, say, you know, ask me if we have extra Gatorade in the catering room or something like that, like yeah. something that doesn't seem horrible to somebody else or or like a code word, you know, that is like something's going on and I need help. And then I can get that person to the side and find out what's going on. Is that like a normal thing or is that becoming a thing on? I, I've seen it on a couple tours that I've been on now in a couple different places. And, and I think, man, that, that's such a cool thing to adopt. Like you're saying, a distraction technique or something that doesn't point it all out right away, you know, but then you can get to the bottom of it and hopefully not injure people in the process, you know? Yeah. So that's definitely like become more common. It's not really the thing that we recommend most um, for two reasons. One is like in order for everyone to know what the code word is, then everyone has to know what the code word is and it's no longer a code word. Right. So what you're describing where it's like just for your own crew, that's like very different than the ones in the bathroom that are for patrons. Right. Because really for like, for that to be effective, every patron needs to know the code word and it just becomes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not a code word anymore. Um, what we've seen is oftentimes like some bars or venues will only post that in like the women's bathroom, but men and non-binary people also experience sexual harassment. So that right. doesn't work either. Um, not only men perpetrate sexual harassment, so that doesn't, you know, like it, it really, yeah. it's a well-intentioned, but sort of imperfect solution. What you're describing where it's like for your own crew, that's sort of different to say like, Hey, let's give ourselves our own language to look out for each other. 
that's fine. You know, the same thing is like when you use different code words over the radio. So not everyone like hears the bad thing like loudly <laughs> like that. That right. makes sense when it's a smaller group. The other thing it does is it really puts it on the person experiencing that harm, like that victim to ask for help. And obviously we want mm. people to be able to ask for help. It's really hard when you're being targeted to like have the wherewithal to go and get help because a yeah. really common response is to freeze up or to just like do your best to be really nice and get out of the situation. It's called fawning. That's really, really natural. And so by having these things that like require someone who's being targeted to then also go and find help, it's not the most effective. So some of what yeah. we do really is go after those bystanders is to say, look out for each other so that if you see something going on, you get that person out, um, but don't rely on that person to get themselves out. Obviously, all of the tools we teach could be used if you are the person, the target yourself. It's just a lot harder when you're being targeted than if you're just witnessing something to go and do something about it. So I've thought about this a lot, um, you know, growing up as a woman and growing up in this community and, and the industry that, that we work in with live, live sound and I worked in theater and all of that. And a lot of the things that I struggle with personally is that we focus so heavily on um, what we do as women or as smaller groups to handle when this stuff happens, right? So I've taken the bystander interventions. I've taken all of these courses, but I feel like that's that's only going so far, right? So how do we tackle the entire cultural issue of I'm not inviting this to happen to me? It's it's other people who are culturally or just because they're assholes uh, who are who are sexually harassing people, right? So it's not really. I feel like it's such an unbalanced problem for us to just react to these people instead of training them to not be disgusting. Yeah, it's a great question, and. And so we're with you. It's like you need to not just teach people how to like dodge sexual harassment. Like that is not, it is not dodgeball. That is not the game we're playing at work, especially. Um, yeah. The, the prevention field doesn't know super well how to get people to like not harass each other besides making the environment more hostile to harassment. Mm-hmm. So right now we have environments that are incredibly welcoming of harassment. Um, like it is normal. It is standard. It is fine. I hate it, but it's true, right? Like you look around, look at the prevalence of sexual harassment. Our environments say that's fine. So these bystander trainings, these policies, these things are all about changing the environment so that when someone harasses, they are reprimanded for it. Oh, and to make them feel like uncomfortable. Exactly. For being gross. Yeah, for being a jerk. It's like, if you're being a jerk, you don't get to like, just keep doing it. And that's what we're trying to really shift by changing the environment is saying, okay, you now have a policy that's really clear because right now there aren't clear policies. Someone who wants to be helpful and make a safer environment doesn't know how to if the whole policy is like a question mark. You know, we ask, uh, we we created uh, like a rider language for tours to ask every venue they go to what their anti-harassment policies and protocols are. Almost no one can give one back because they don't have them. They have one right. that only applies to employees. And they say, well, you know, if someone asks us for help here, like we do something. And I was like, okay, but do you train your staff on that response? Do you tell them, do you tell your security, do you tell your bartenders, do you tell everyone that this is what we're going to do for these different behaviors? And the answer is no. And so that's by saying, hey, you need to actually create a policy that's specific, that says, here's our protocol for dealing with different kinds of behaviors. You know, for this level, they're going to get a 
verbal warning for this level, they're going to get kicked out for the night, but they can come back another night for this. They're getting a ban for life, right? Like really detail it so that the decision-making isn't left up to someone who's just not getting paid enough to make those decisions constantly and who doesn't feel supported in upholding those policies because it comes back to them instead of the company. And so saying you all as a venue or as a festival or as a company, you need to decide what the consequences are for different behaviors and train your people on how to enforce that, not leave it up to individual security guards who are not given the proper support to be able to do that effectively. So that gets at sort of your question of like, how do we actually change the culture? We got to change the environment. And then we've got to give people skills to do that and make them feel supported that, you know, being a bystander and saying bystander, meaning just like someone who's around, right. Who's not involved mm-hmm. um, saying, I just witnessed something that seemed really shitty rather than feel like, Oh, that's not my business. Or I'm going to be seen as like, the like no fun, can't take a joke guy that I'm going to feel empowered and not just empowered, but feel like it's actually part of my job to go over and be like, what are you doing? Like, we don't do that here. And if you're going to keep doing that, you got to leave. That's how you get people to stop doing those behaviors is by giving them consequences when they do. That's cool. I was, I was, I was just going to ask that. Like, what if you see something happening, but nobody's saying anything like where, you know, what's your first line of defense, I guess, with that, because I see that often, you know, or like as a touring band coming into an environment where everyone's comfortable, Mm -hmm. maybe they're not comfortable, I don't know, but it looks like they're comfortable talking to one another that way. But I'm now in this environment with them. And it's like, we don't talk that way to each other. And now I'm working with you all day and you guys are nasty. Like, (laughs) yeah, the bystander training that helped me a lot because then you can like one of the skills, like you said, is interrupting, but then you can also pull that person aside later privately and just be like, Hey, is that normal for you? Is that okay? And sometimes for people, I've found that even if you question, if this is a normal thing to them, they might be like, Oh God, no, like it isn't really that normal. I don't really like that thing. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable that we talk that way. And they might not have even realized it. Yeah. The other thing is the messenger matter. So if you're sort of like new to a group, it's going to feel harder to be the person speaking up. Like if you can get one person on there, right? Like sort of identify, is it the person who was like quiet while everyone was laughing or whatever it is? Like you can talk to that person and say like, hey, is this normal? Like that felt really uncomfortable for me, but no one seemed to say anything like delegating to someone who has different relationships, it's delegating, you know, like oftentimes we think that like, if you ask someone else for help, it has to be like the boss. Oftentimes just going to the friends of the person who was being crappy or like, you know, someone who's maybe been part of the crew for longer, who has worked there for longer, they can be a really helpful ally. And, and if you ask that person, right, like make a direct ask of saying, Hey, that like didn't feel good. I don't feel like I have enough credibility here yet to speak up on it. Could you say something or could you help me say something? Because that was pretty awful. Even as like, I'm like literally the sexual harassment lady when I go on tour. And sometimes people will still say like garbage things. I was in like a text thread and I was like, is this really happening? Like, are you really? I was like, I don't even know what to say. And I texted someone offline and was like, will you say something? Because I don't. I don't even know how to. And, and he jumped in and was like, really guys. And that was all it took was like him saying really guys, where if it had been Mm -hmm. me saying really guys, they probably would have like worried about their jobs or something. Um, so it, you know, sometimes it's about finding that other voice who can jump in. That's not you. 
That's cool. I tell people to do that a lot, like in different situations, like always look for the outgoing person or the person who will speak up because like that person's going to be your ally. Yeah. That actually helps with a question I had is like speaking up takes a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. So by maybe delegating it would be a way to handle, I was going to say, is there like a low energy version? (laughs) So if, if you are just kind of like your batteries are low and you see something, but you still feel like I need to interrupt, do you have like a low energy version? Yeah. Delegating is definitely one of them. Um, It depends on your relationship to the people. I think, you know, like literally our, we have an online version of our training that's like self-paced and like everything is like well it's situational which I know is an annoying response but it helps map onto reality um if you know the people involved you don't always have to be high energy to respond like if you have a familiar relationship sometimes you, you can just be like not today right like that can be your low energy but if you don't know the people or if it's not people you have like a casual relationship with that's not going to work so yeah delegating to someone else can be one way to do it um you know, creating a distraction is actually, I think, tends to be a little bit more low energy is that like you just move it along. So if something's going on and like if you're really out of energy, sometimes distractions are very direct and that like you change the course of conversation so abruptly that it's very obvious that it was a distraction, but you're still not like coming at it head on. You know, so if someone's saying something inappropriate and you're like, wow, so what's the schedule for tonight? I can't remember. (laughs) And like, it's just out of left field. Like you don't have to engage. You can just like completely dead end. That's a great tactic. Because then you you also laugh. People will laugh at that too. And it diffuses the situation, right? Yep. It diffuses it. It brings some humor in. And I like to use a distraction like that. That's work-based to remind people they're at work, right? Mm. Like, so what mm-hmm. are we doing for our jobs tonight? <laughs> like, it, <laughs> right. yes, it like brings in some humor. It's lower energy, but it's also that reminder of like, this is not, not that people should behave rudely in their personal lives, but there's different, right. there are different levels for like, what's going to make someone feel uncomfortable when they're at their workplace versus their social place where you like get to choose who you hang out with also. Like I yeah. sometimes remind people, I'm like, I wouldn't choose to hang out with you in a bar. So don't make me act like I'm hanging out with you in a bar. Like we're not friends. Um, I'm not the nicest person always when people are being <laughs> jerks and I like can remind them that like we're only hanging out because I'm paid to be here, not because <laughs> I want to be here and hang out with you. I'm sure those lines are blurred a lot more. Like Becky, when you're on tour, those lines get super blurred because you don't have the social aspect of getting to hang out with your friends at night. You're stuck with those those people. Yeah. And they're going to be a different set of people tomorrow. So that, I guess for me, that's my, you know, if I'm doing that at venue one and then we go to venue two and that's happened and now we're at venue three, this is all building up in me while I'm on tour. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. and so it's like, I'm getting hit three, four, five times a week Mm -hmm. with just crazy shit really. And like I'm deflecting and I'm doing all the things and I'm telling the tour manager, but it's just going to keep happening until we can get some stuff in place in all of these venues that say exactly what you're saying. Like, this is not tolerable. This is not okay. And that has to come from the venue. Like you cannot treat anyone on tour this way. And when they're in your house, you don't talk like an idiot. You know, if they allow that in that house, fine. But when someone else comes in, that's not allowed, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not fine either for them to talk like that in their house, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things like to what you're getting at though, is this sort of like, what can we do? Cause it's exhausting to be an individual, right? Like it's exhausting to be a person alone, deflecting and dodging and 
alerting people and like just right. going at it alone. And that's part of why we are doing this work is because it is exhausting to be doing it alone. And what we're really trying to find are people who who control larger groups of people, right? So it's like, how do you get the artist to say, hey, we're going to set these standards for our tour and we're going to put it in our advance. And that like, yes, maybe the venue hasn't trained everyone yet, but as an artist in our advancing, we can set different expectations and we can say, hey, here's our standards. What are your policies? We want to see them. We want to understand what we're walking into. We're going to give our crew and our band a safe work environment. And you're our partner in the ground and making sure that's true. So tell us what you're going to do. Who's your security manager? Who's our point of contact for any issues that come up? And when you do that in advance, one, it puts them on notice, right? To put out, right. put out the company dishware. Um, but two, it's, it's also giving you a clear path so that if something comes up, you know exactly who to go to. And it sort of puts that on like, whoever's job that is on tour is typically going to be the tour manager to say, hey, can you go and handle this? And there's going to be a clear path. When you prepare, it's a lot easier to deal with things. I was out mm-hmm. on a tour in the before times before the pandemic craziness. And we had, right, like we've talked through all of these things. We had this in our advance. We, we had all of this yeah. together. And I, I was on tour, so they had like that extra support. But I remember one of the openers, um, the support, I was out with a headliner the supports merch person was being harassed. And she, you know, sort of shared that and our production manager overheard it. And that it was dealt with so fast and so professionally because we had something in place that like mm. even the support artist, not that they were enabling it or okay with it either, but they hadn't prepared for it in the way that we had. So we, I mean, I think that person was fired the next day because turns out wasn't the first time that they've been complained about, right? Like it's the other thing is that like, it's a small number of people doing this over and over right. and over again. The majority of people are not like harassing each other, but the same people do it over and over again. And if, if you have a system in place to say like, hey, this happened, it's not okay. What are you going to do about it? You're probably not the first person to experience it. And you might be the sort of like that report might be the one that really saves other people from going through the same thing. But mm-hmm. we try to really get the artist the venues, the festivals, the promoters, like the people who are controlling a lot more of the space to take this on so that if you're just, you know, you're someone who's working and not with that level of power that you don't have to take it all on, but you just have a supportive environment so that if you do say something, that's all you have to do. All you have to do is say, hey, this is happening and someone deals with it. Like what a different world that would be. You may not eliminate all of the harassment, but if it wasn't so exhausting to make it stop, it would feel different. Yeah. And then that also shows those people that there's consequences. Yeah. I will say, like, as a production manager, it's my job to read through, you know, the riders and stuff that's sent to me and the way the house does things. Um, In the last couple of years, I've seen quite a few of the bigger places that I know of, you know, that have that in their policy and have a sexual harassment, you know, like we do not tolerate this, this and this on our campus and that kind of stuff. And I'm always like, when I read through it, I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, But it's there in the back of my head somewhere. If that happens or I see it, I know, like I'm going straight to the TD or the PM or whoever's there and saying, hey, man, you even said in your writer that you sent me that this is not OK. And we agreed to that. So like that guy's got to go. And we, I did that at one venue this last year. This one jerk was doing that to my team. And I was like, um, you can go inside. And I went straight up to his production manager and said, 
I just sent him inside and I don't want him back out at the trailer because blah, blah, blah. And he said, no problem at all. And then I saw him talking to him. I don't know what happened after that, but the fact that I had someone to go to and he went directly to the guy right after was really cool, you know? And I was like, oh, wow. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And then my team felt safe and so did the rest of the people on the dock, you know, and one of the women that was on the dock with us that worked there, she goes, he's constantly doing that. She goes, he's going to get fired. And I was like, I hope so. And she's like, me too. You know, I'm like, because he needs to learn if he's constantly doing it, it needs to stop. Just the fact that they put it in their rider, I don't know that I would have brought it up to anyone other than him if that was the case. But because I knew I had a point of contact, I was like, oh, then I don't have to deal with this anymore. I can bring it right to the venue. So that's cool. Yeah, you can just get help. And I think for people people who are listening who who aren't in control of something, I think like a takeaway is, this is something you can advocate for your company or your tour or your whoever to say like, hey, have you considered putting something like this in place? A lot of people don't know that these things exist. You know, sometimes that might be very, it might feel like a fight. You know, you're going to learn something about that workplace you're about to enter. But a lot of places, I mean, people are swamped. They have a million things they're supposed to handle. And if you went and said, hey, this kind of resource exists, would you like, do you do anything like that? Or what are you doing around harassment? Would you consider something like that? If you do that before there's a problem, you're often going to find a partner and an ally in that and be like, oh, I had no idea that you could like, you know, just add that to your right. You don't even have to like, it's not even that much extra work to add a clause to a rider, but it it gives you something to point to when there's a problem. And it gives like a shared language for your team to, to sort of go in and feel like you said, you feel safer in knowing that if something does happen, if someone does do something harmful, that your workplace is going to have your back because a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people feel like if they ask for help or report something that they're going to get punished for it. Yes. And so they don't speak up. Do you have a place, a resources place that people can go to, to get, you know, that paragraph and copy paste it on their writer or things like that? Or do we just flood your inbox, Kim? Uh, it's a little bit of both. So we do have, we're putting out a bunch of resources right now. So calling all crows, which is like the bird calling all crows.org um, backslash here for the music or just Google here for the music campaign. It should come up. And uh, we do have some tools there. So we have free venue guides and festival guides awesome. to create policies. So depending, you know, if you're in like the venue festival world, like there are guides on like how to create these policies. We have toolkits for touring. So that have like that rider language. Um, and we're starting to put out even more like materials. So um, not all of that is online yet, but should be by, you know, like mid-February. So if there's cool. something you're looking for that you need sooner, hit me up. But otherwise, check out our website. Awesome. Is there like a uh, certified not horrible uh, list or something of venues? So, you know, if you're going to go to a venue or a festival or something, it would be nice to know if those people have had that training or not, right? Is there like a badge or something that they can put on their website once they've gone through it or something like that? Um, We've considered it, but it just sort of like, it's a huge lift of resources versus actually just like going and getting people trained. Um, A really good test for it though, is to check their website and see if they even like most places that do this, have it posted somewhere that's really easy to find. If it's not really easy to find, it means they didn't try very hard. So they might have it, but the fact that they didn't post it is not a good sign. So you should be able to go to a, a site and like easily find anti-harassment stuff. That's a pretty good test for you. 
mm-hmm. you also can send an email to their box office and ask like if it's you know a local venue or something that you really love and want to be able to keep going to yeah or a local festival or something like send them a note uh, like dm them on instagram whatever and ask if they do that or if they would consider doing it like that that's part some of how we get venues or festivals to do this is like an artist or a fan or someone reached out or an employee said hey have you heard about this resource so check their website if they have a policy that's not a guarantee that like everyone's trained in it but it's a better look than someone who doesn't even have it if you see someplace that has a policy and it's like one sentence and very vague they also probably didn't try that hard if it like says actually like here's where to go to get help and here's what we will do that's a good policy you know like some of the places we've worked with those are the ingredients it's like here's where you get help here's like what we'll do about it. Um, and so, you know, like we work with Bonnaroo, for example, on their, they have prices counselors on site, like at Bonnaroo. Wow. So that if That's awesome. anyone like does need help, they have trained professionals on how to help you um, in addition to their sort of security response. Um, that's not standard. But if they're doing it, then, I mean, they're setting that standard then, right? Yep. Yeah, it is possible if they're doing it. They're like the biggest, right? So <laughs> if they're pulling it off, even us little people can. Yeah. Other than that, is there any other things we can do uh, as sound girls to be more involved in part of the broader culture change of all this? So much of what we're trying to do right now are create, to your point, more of those resources so that people can take this to wherever their workplace is and be an advocate. Um, you know, as much as we don't want it to fall, like only on like victims or targets or women to, to fix this, you know, it is realistically going to fall on us. Um, you know, we're pushing to get other people to do it. But if you're feeling compelled by this and really want to get involved, the best thing to do is to bring it up with your employer, like, or your multiple employers, if you're freelancing and say, like, what are you doing about sexual harassment? And do you know about these resources and doing it in that proactive way? You don't have to take it on. You don't have to do the work. There are calling all closes. There are some other organizations who do this, but bringing it up with, with the people who have the power to implement it is like really the single most effective thing you can do. And, and sound girls, like wherever you have connections, right? Like whether it's audio companies who are employing a lot of people, like they have a responsibility to provide this sort of policy and this yeah. sort of training, like that's where we try to go after are the, the folks who reach the most number of people and get them on board with these sort of like policy updates and trainings and, and then pushing the big, like the live nations, the AEGs, the big, big players to say, do this everywhere, right? Like you own all the venues, make them safer. Um, and if we get enough people pushing, they'll eventually do it. Yeah. It's a lot of work that y'all are undertaking, but it is valuable and amazing that you're doing it. And thank you for all that you do, Kim. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's that sounds like it's not, uh, I don't want to say it's a thankless job because obviously uh, the people on the receiving end are appreciative, but it, I don't imagine it's easy being the sexual harassment lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a lot of therapy, so it's good. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough job, but I, I do really like it. And it's for the most part, like the people I get to work with, are the ones who are trying to make it better, right? Like anyone who's working with me is trying to do better. Like we sometimes have people who reach out to us who are trying to do PR and we don't work with them. You know, like we're really just working with the folks who are actually out here to make this industry better and safer. And so it's pretty inspiring. Like a lot of the work I get to do are like with people like you and and with folks who are really doing whatever they can to just like make it so that our jobs are our actual jobs and are not just about like fending off harassment. Yeah, it's your efforts are impactful and meaningful. 
So at least you know that. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I think that's about all the time we have today. So thank you so much. We're going to have all your links and all your stuff uh, on the website and uh, go to soundgirls.org. There's awesome article on there. There's a webinar with Kim on our YouTube page and all sorts of amazing resources at callingallcrows.org and here for the music. Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, Thank you so much. And thanks to Soundgirls. You were one of our very first big supporters and really helped us get off the ground way back in 2017. So we just really appreciate this partnership and all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Soundgirls podcast. You can find out more information on the website, soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.